Baker. Day mornings from 7 to 10 on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, KRLV Las Vegas. The JT The Brick Show, live from Radio Row, is brought to you by Paul Law. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. You're listening to the JT The Brick Show, where the Raider Nation has come to sound off and react for over 20 years. It's time for JT The Brick. You can dislike the Chiefs! You can disrespect the Chiefs! You're going to have to deal with the Chiefs! Rolling into the Super Bowl, and it's an actual nightmare. They're practicing in our building, our headquarters, and they're playing in our stadium. We knew it was going to be an issue, and it's an issue. Believe it, baby, we're going to Las Vegas, Nevada, to go get us another one! I really can't believe this is happening. JT The Brick. So as I look at this matchup, I hate it. I hate it. But I got to do my job and I got to do my show. Am I furious about it? Hell yeah, I'm furious about it. But if I had my choice, I'd rather do it at Arrowhead. They're practicing in our building, our headquarters, and they're playing in our stadium. I really can't believe this is happening. You can dislike the Chiefs. You can disrespect the Chiefs. It's an actual nightmare. And now, live from Radio Row, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we open up live from Radio Row as we are still breaking in Radio Row here in Las Vegas. Day two for us here on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio 920 AM as we get rolling right out of the gate now. And hopefully we'll hear from you today because we have a loaded up show. It is a little bit of it's already in the can. I just interviewed Ian Rappaport. Uh, along with Eddie Pascal over from the Raiders. We just knocked that out. We're going to play that at some point in the show. It's a big deal because he had a lot to say on Tom Telesco and Cliff Kingsbury and what's happening with the silver and black as we're waiting on official news, hopefully sooner than later, from the Raiders on Luke Getze and what's going to happen with the offensive uh, coordinator position, which is a big topic this week. And it's always good to have a Raiders topic Live from Radio Row. I've been on Radio Row. This is year 26 for me. I've been here where the deal fell apart with the Raiders in L.A. The deal came together for Vegas. We've had big interviews and big breaking news with the Raiders over the years. Al Davis always liked to have a little bit of news around Radio Row, so we're good for that. Anything could happen. Uh, Marcus Allen will join us and Rod Woodson will join us if you're a Raider fan. And in his regular spot, which is usually on Monday, uh, we'll fit him in today, Sam Munson from Pro Football Focus. He's been on with us all year long, all year long, so we're excited about that. So we are ready to roll today. If you want to get in, get in as quick as you can. Vic Tafer will also join us live from The Athletic. That will be at the bottom of the hour. Also a quick hit from Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate on the odds of the Super Bowl, which is his expertise. And then people might show up and want to jump on, and we'll deal with that accordingly. But we are ready to roll right now, so jump on in. And last night I didn't get an opportunity because I worked here on Radio Road till 7 p.m. I missed media night, which is not a big deal, but it looked pretty cool. Allegiant Stadium pulled off media night last night, and we saw everybody there from Travis Kelsey getting booed to Patrick Mahomes to the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan a little bit loose there at the podium, wink, wink. And there was a lot of talk about how that went down there yesterday. What I want to do, the majority of the time that I'm here in Vegas, live at a Super Bowl, which is not going to happen very often, I'm hoping, you know, five years from now, we're doing this every three years. I think when the NFL figures out how great the Super Bowl is for Vegas, other than the weather, which the weather is brutal today, my wife, who's Uber driver this week, drove me down. There was no traffic coming from the mean streets of Summerlin. 
but it was blowing sideways and windy and pretty crazy. Uh, the weather needs to clean up here to make this a great Super Bowl. I'll just say it. A lot of this is indoors. We get it, but we need some unbelievable weather to kick in here starting tomorrow when all the big parties kick in, and there's a lot going on. So you know me. I like to consider myself the mayor of Vegas, the mayor of Vegas, and I want to make sure that this pulls off really good, really good, and everybody has a good time, and that will be perfect for me. I want everybody to walk away from this event saying, you know, Vegas had the Super Bowl, and it was a home run, and it looked like it was yesterday at Media Day, and it is with the concerts. And everything that's brewing in, if you haven't got in here yet, let us know when you are getting in. If you've been here already, tell us all about your experience so far as we open it up. 702-365-9200. I want to begin with the field situation, which was a big deal yesterday. And it seems like the Niners are going to have to deal with what's happening over at UNLV with the soggy field. That's a big deal for the 49ers because they didn't get the Raiders stadium. They don't have Raiders headquarters. And that should be a big deal because the Raiders headquarters where they're training at is far superior than UNLV, and I love UNLV. They dumped a lot of money into that facility. I'm talking a ton of money into that facility, and it's pretty good. It's really good what the Fatitas have done to clean up UNLV because UNLV plays football now over at Allegiant Stadium, and they were able to build up and get going everything that they have going with their building. So it's nowhere near going to compete with what the Las Vegas Raiders have, but overall it's very important to see what could happen going forward and what's going to happen in future Super Bowls. What happens when a team like the Raiders have a far superior facility than the college team in town? And we could say the same thing about that. What happens when you play in Tampa? What happens when something goes down in Tampa and you have a team that's going to be playing at UCF or a team that's going to be playing at the Buccaneer facility. With all that happening, this is now an issue Roger Goodell is going to have to keep an eye on going forward. So I don't think we need to apologize to anybody here that the Raiders have this incredible facility. But the Niner fans, who I'm noticing on Twitter, and conspiracy theorists are saying now that they are in a tough spot because they don't have equal grounds to prepare for. I'm not going to call BS because I work for the Raiders and I know their facility. And the Raiders have a much better facility, especially when it's pouring rain cold and pouring sideways. So if the Niner fans want to use this as something to kind of motivate them, I don't think there's much of a motivation thing here. I think that you can't look at it like you're getting screwed either way here. That's just the way the ball bounces. So the Niners will probably not have the complete practice experience that the Chiefs are going to have. And enough of all the Raider fans freaking out about the locker room. Oh, my God. I mean, this has been Raider therapy week for me. My other business card, I have two. One says the Las Vegas Raiders, and the other says Raider therapist, as I'm dealing with Raider fans that want to jump off cliffs because they're in the building. Do you understand they're playing the Super Bowl in Allegiant Stadium? They're going to use our locker rooms. Okay, they're supposed to use UNLV, I thought. There's a visiting locker room. There's a Raider at locker room. On a scale of 1 to 100 for me, This is at less than a one. So Raider fans, let's come together and not get worked up about little things that we have no control over, including what locker room the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be in. That means nothing to me, and uh, we'll figure something out after this. How about the Raiders playing Super Bowls going forward so they play in their own locker room or they play in the home team locker room of the AFC going forward? Right before I put the headset on, I was listening to Antonio Pierce. AP was on with Rich Eisen, 
and they had a good conversation about how his path came about with the Raiders. Maybe we'll grab a nugget from that a little bit later on in the show. Travis Kelsey getting booed last night, says he has no jitters, no doubt. He said that this Super Bowl means more to him than the other two that he's won. For our new audience that might be listening to us for the first time here in Vegas, what's very fascinating about this point for me is that they're going for a dynasty. We've touched on that. They are going for a dynasty. If they don't win this game, the dynasty is dead. If they win this game, the dynasty is alive and the dynasty is going to be going forward with a lot of momentum and a lot of strength. So something we're keeping track of here, and that's why Raider fans have been talking about this from day one. The last thing the Raider Nation want to see is they want to see Kansas City hosting the Lombardi in our building. Big topic for me all week, and it's only Tuesday. And I'm seeing more 49er fans in Las Vegas so far than Kansas City fans. Also, ticket prices are lightly coming down a bit. If you're looking to get a buy-in and get into the building, it's starting to get a little bit, a little bit cheaper right now. If you want to get a ticket to the game, I would wait. From what my ticket guy said, wait till Thursday or Friday. It's still going to be obnoxiously high to get into the Super Bowl, no doubt about that. So that's with the monologue. It's a short one here because we want to get rolling here with your phone calls. I only have a few opportunities in the show to hear from you. So if you want to jump in, 702-365-9200 is the number. We'll get you in here. It should be about your despise of Kansas City. If you want to talk about the field advantage that the 49ers don't have here for the practice, and also what the Raiders are going to do when they're going to make it official with the offensive coordinator. You'll hear from Albert Breer coming up on the other side. The big takeaway, as I tease ahead this interview, is the fact what Albert Breer told me is it's not the end of the world here. Getsy's really good. And as he talked about the contract, as the contract didn't come together, it's not the end of the world. That's coming from Albert Breer, who has good connections. Raider fans now have jitters about running the football. Let me tell you what I know from within the building and with my sources, and I think I have a few. Buckle up and get ready to run the football, period. Not saying the passing game's not going to be great. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I have no idea. They have to get another quarterback to go along with Aiden O'Connell. But the sense that I'm getting in Raider Nation going forward is they and Antonio Pierce. This is Antonio Pierce. And we'll get more from Tom Telesco when we sit down with him that this team is going to be a smash-mouth run the football down your throat and pick up hard yards running off tackle up the middle and on the outside. That is the culture of this team going forward from what I can sense. Doesn't mean they can't run a little air raid. Doesn't mean that Getze can't open it up. Doesn't mean that Devontae is going to lose targets. None of that. All I'm sensing here is that the Raiders are going to be more of a running attack going forward because it makes a lot of sense with the personnel that they have. I like the passing game more than the running game, but I like winning more than anything else. From what I just heard from Antonio Pierce, what I've talked to other people, Marcus Allen, off the record, some of the other players here, they embrace that. They want to have a Raider football team that is very physical and can get yards when they need it. The question's going to be, the new offensive coordinator, what will the quarterback connection be with the running game? Because the running game is going to be, I believe, the strength of this team going forward. So that's what I wanted to say. We are brought to you by Grimaldi's. It's the best pizza I've ever had. My sister, yesterday in New York, went to the original Grimaldi's in Brooklyn. I'm talking about fate. I told my sister, Jill, I said, this is an amazing moment. Grimaldi stepped up, and they're the lead sponsor to my radio row coverage 
as she was getting some pie with her husband and my nephew at the original Grimaldi's in Brooklyn. I said, great. I said, get the Brooklyn Bridge pizza. She did, and she loves it. Phone calls ready to go. Hell of interviews coming up. And tonight, check this out. Tonight on my show on Sirius XM, I have Howie Long, Warren Moon, Moose Johnson, and Tim Brown. You'll hear portions of those interviews throughout as we continue on. And you know that we do that, right, everybody? A lot of these interviews are not live. They're taped in advance because when we get these people here and a couple of the interviews, if they're big, will be from my show the night before that we'll play here if I think the content is worth playing here. Chris in West Oakland kicks us off in the Bay Area, live from the wet, soggy Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Chris, go ahead. Hey, JG. Well, another year of Radio Row. In fact, I got to talk to Big D and dig up some of the old pictures of that Radio Row he did with you in New Orleans back in 2002. I've always said... Any man that's a sports fan, at some point in your life, you've got to go experience the Super Bowl. Vegas is the perfect spot. New Orleans is my favorite. I think the, I think the Super Bowl JT should be on a rotation. Vegas, New Orleans, Miami, Southern California. Maybe every 10 years you throw Northern California bone. That's your Super Bowl rotation. Nobody wants to go to Indianapolis, Minneapolis, Detroit, etc. Nice cities. Great fan bases. Nobody wants to go there in February. Um, I didn't get a chance to call last week, JT. One thing I wanted to say, rest in peace, Carl Weathers. I remember my dad talking about this guy. He only played for the Raiders in 70 and 71. As you know, I started going to games in 72. One of the few true legends of the Raiders I actually didn't get to say alive, but rest in peace, Carl Weathers. Once a Raider, always a Raider. You were a legend just as an actor, not necessarily as a football player, but always a Raider. And I want to hit what I real quick. I'll get to the Super Bowl more this week, JT. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not thrilled with with Getsy. I'm not. When I think great innovative offense, the last thing I think about is the Chicago Bears. And 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 uh, I, the thing about being a running team. Well, you know what? I don't want to hear about that's going to be the strength of the team because of the personnel. Go out and get better personnel because if your goal is to be the strength of your team as a running team, got news for you. You're never going to take down the Kansas City Chiefs. This team's got to think outside the box. I don't, again, I already see the handwriting on the wall. We're going to be a running, running team ball control. That doesn't win Super Bowls. I know this team has to crawl before it walks, but I don't see the rush. Go out. Interview some young college guys. Interview. Where, what about Eric Bieniemy? Kingsbury fell through. Why the rush to go hire a guy whose offense has been anything but the envy of the league? In fact, when you think great offenses, the bottom five of the league is usually the Chicago Bears. I don't understand. And again, I don't want to hear that the Raiders want to be a running team. That's a recipe for failure. I know it's only February and the season's, you know, not even over for a full month yet. I just don't like the direction of this hire. I'll sit back and wait if that's what happens. I'll hope I'm wrong. But, damn it, it's 2024. You don't win championships and go to playoffs year in and year out with a running attack. You do it with a stud quarterback. This draft's loaded with them. The Raiders need to go out and find one. Have a great week, my friend. I'll talk to you and break down the game a little more on Thursday or Friday. Talk to you later. Yeah, uh, a quick thing on this. I said this yesterday. I'm a big Eric Bannamy guy. He had a cultural issue in college. He had a bad moment in his life, a domestic issue. He's atoned for that. Uh, I think Eric Bieniemy is a great play caller. I'm great with Eric Bieniemy. I was great with Cliff Kingsbury. Luke Getze, if he gets the job, I'll be behind him. I'll be behind him in a big way. Don't know much about him other than the connection to Devontae Adams. 
other than the connection to Devontae, which is really important. The connection of Patrick Graham to Max Crosby is real important. The connection of Devontae, I would think, if it's Luke Getzey and it's official, will be very important there. I like the enemy. I like the enemy because I told you this on this show many, many, many times. Just take the exact playbook that Kansas City ran. The enemy has it at home. This is for any team. A lot of times I say stuff and people go, oh, he's saying this about the Raiders. No, I'm not. I'm saying this about everybody with the enemy. Take his playbook from Kansas City, photocopy it at bleeping Kinko's. Photocopy the playbook from Kinko's and run it here. All right, we just added Mike Florio. Mike Florio from Pro Football Focus and Ian Rappaport in the first hour. That talks about being on fire. Two of the biggest insiders in the NFL. Join me right here from Radio Row coming up. We're going to break and come back. We're brought to you by PTs. They fuel the monologue. PTs, ready to roll. Also, Vic Tafer at 1230. So Ian Rappaport, Vic Tafer, and then Mike Florio as PTs. 5 to 7, midnight to 2, the best happy hour in town. Get out of the rain. Get out of the rain, everybody. And go out there and have a good time. Get out of the rain and come to Vegas and have a great time in a casino and drink Modelo, will you? Ian Rappaport joins us from NFL Network and... I live in Vegas. We have a Super Bowl in Vegas. Take me through the story from your perspective, how we got here. I mean, it is unbelievable. Of all the things that I've covered in the NFL, the fact that a Super Bowl could be here is the most surreal. So I had just moved to the town I live in, New York. We were in actually in a rental house, and I was in the basement, and my kids were like six months and a year and a half. I remember this like very, very vividly. And I heard a rumor that Mark Davis was meeting with Sheldon Adelson in Vegas, which is impossible because that could never happen. It could never happen. And even if it did happen, it would, nothing would come of it because of Vegas, gambling, and the NFL. It would never happen. So I called a couple high-ranking league sources to be like, I heard this is true. What does this mean? And the response I got was, yes, it's true, and why not Vegas? And I was like, like I, I, I remember where I was standing. Like, it was so earth-shaking to be like, oh my God, the NFL is considering having a team in Las Vegas. Now, obviously, it turned out as a fantastic option for the Raiders, but it was the first time I ever really was like, this world is changing. And once it changed, it's just a runaway train, right? So that went from Raiders landing in Vegas with a really nice deal to building an unbelievable stadium. I was there for on Monday night for media night. It was awesome. Um, and then once you build a stadium, you're going to get a Super Bowl. And, like, you know, it's Vegas. Super Bowl should be in Vegas. Absolutely. That was a long answer, but that's Great what answer. I remember. We love it. You know, and, you know, when you look at kind of the, that change, to me, I think the most striking part is how quickly that the tone and tenor around yeah. the city has changed in less than a decade. And, JT, you'd know better than I being here for a lot longer. But, Ian, were you surprised by how— JT, you're a lot older. Yeah. So. <laughs> Literally what he said, but it's okay. But are you surprised by how quickly kind of the conversation and, and the feeling around the city's changed in regards to professional sports? You know, I, I am and I'm not because once— you sort of open the door, then it tends to get kicked in, right? Like, that's our world now is like, once someone says, well, this is possible, it's like in my world for news. If I see a story or I hear from a source, hey, this is possible, 
I'm immediately thinking like this is happening because that's how this works. Everything moves fast now. So once, you know, gambling started to get legalized in more than one or two states, it was like people are going to see the money you can make and that you can really do it pretty responsibly. Um, And the game, you know, you can do it in a way where the sort of ethics of the game isn't challenged, then this is going to be a thing. And once the door got open to crack, it got kicked in by the NFL and by so many states. And the laws changed, and the NFL was right there with it. Ian, I say it all the time. It seems so simple. You know, it seems so simple to have done this 10 or 15 years ago, and it just had to be the perfect storm with Brian Sandoval, the governor. Here in Vegas, there's no politics getting in the way the way it got in the way in the East Bay, where it was just hard to do construction, to figure it out politically. Then you come to Vegas, the NBA is going to come next. It just flows a lot easier here. Yeah, and, you know, it's hard to build a stadium in California, obviously, as you guys know. I mean, that's like the fact that the 49ers did it is still bonkers to me. Um, And it was a challenge. Um, And... You know, Mark Davis is a lot of things, and he is probably not for everyone, and certainly someone who people will look at him and don't understand how he does things and what he is. He pulled off one of the most amazing things in NFL history. Literally. He took a team with no future in a city, couldn't build a stadium, in a place where it's impossible to build, in a bad setup, and broke new ground, changed the face of the NFL, got an incredible deal locally, built a beautiful stadium, and is hosting a Super Bowl. Well, so, like, to follow- who, so who, like, Mark Davis is? Like, he's the guy who did all that. I'm so happy you said that because being the son of Al Davis and the pressure that he had on to relocate a team and to do this for the other owners and the yeah. revenue share that's going up. Sure. You know, Mark's legacy, knowing him this long, is he wants to win Super Bowls. He right. cares about winning. But what I find fascinating is this is a big legacy piece sure. for Mark if he gets one Super Bowl or two add on top of Vegas if the Raiders can get on that track. Right, and I'm sure if you asked him, he would prefer the Super Bowl Absolutely. rather than the state. You know, I would say this. Like, I've known Mark a little bit over the years. Every owner cares about their fans, okay? He might care the most. Nice. He is a fan. He literally is the voice of the fans. And so, like, this is legacy changing for him, putting a Super Bowl in Vegas, putting a stadium in Vegas. It is all amazing, and he has led to a kind of incredible opening of the sports world. Um, I'm sure he would want a Super Bowl more. Um, and that's, you know, look, the, the hiring of Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler did not work out. Obviously, I think more, you know, Dave Ziegler did a pretty good job. Um, Josh did not. Um, but that was a big swing, and you only take that swing if you care so, so much that you're willing to do whatever you can to to bring a Super Bowl for your fans. It didn't work, but that doesn't mean it was the wrong idea. Right. You know, and shifting back to the present a little bit, you know, Tom Telesco now officially the GM of the Silver and Black, Antonio Pierce not going anywhere, gets that interim tag removed. Uh, but shifting to Tom, like, what can these, this fan base really expect from Tom? Obviously very familiar with his work with the Chargers, yeah. but in terms of his blueprints as a general manager, what does he bring to the table? He is a very, very good general manager. He is very, very good. And, you know, the Chargers' sort of reputation probably hurt him a little bit. And, you know, I think it's fair to say, coaching-wise, that it could have been better the last three years. Uh, Brandon Staley did not work out, was eventually fired. That is a very talented team. And, you know, if you look at, it's not like you say, like, oh, okay, well, anyone could have drafted Joey Bosa. Well, not actually true. You had to take him. But that's like the Derwin James, you know, Derwin James pick or, like, um, you know, franchise left tackle, and then he goes down and you have a six-round guard, not this year, but last year, ends up filling in, and you're like, Wow, like that's good. Like he is a very good drafter. Um, I would say he is someone who is very prudent 
And if he's going to take a big swing at something, he has to be absolutely sure. So, you know, maybe not the biggest trader in the whole world. Um, we'll certainly do it. Did it for J.C. Jackson this past year. It's going to be really interesting, actually, to pair him with Antonio Pierce because I think Antonio Pierce, what I hear about him is he wants things done yesterday. Mm, yeah. so you have a very calculated, careful GM and a coach who wants things done right now, that's a pretty good mix because you can sort of balance each other out. I actually thought it was a great, great hire. Um, I was really surprised that Telesco was fired and that he didn't have a landing spot. So when it became clear that it was going to be the Raiders, I was like, you know what? That actually makes sense. Ian, last one, breaking news. You just mentioned it. From Kingsbury to Getsy, everything we're waiting on official. I always say there's an official Twitter, but gentlemen like you do an unbelievable job with your sources breaking it first. What's this week like leading up to the Super Bowl with the Raiders as they're still trying to figure it out and what happened with Kingsbury going to the Commanders? Yeah, um, let me just say, I think Luke Getsy is a really good hire. Nice. You know, he had some challenges in Chicago. The early part was tough. Got them running the ball real well, so... If you guys have some fans who like to run the ball, I think sure they may do. enjoy this. Um, he did a good job with Justin Fields. Really did. Like, I don't quite understand the negativity because to me, you know, Fields is a quarterback where you got to call it perfect. He got him playing really good the second half of the year. Really good. Um, and to me, like, really good sound offensive coordinator. You need a good one with Antonio Pierce, and I think he's going to be really good. The Kingsbury thing, you know, I thought it was going to work out. I liked the move. It broke down contractually. That's okay because reality is, say whatever you want about contracts. If Cliff, if Cliff Kingsbury wanted to be here, he would be here. Right. He did not. He wanted to be with the Commanders. That's fine. We'll see who end up getting the better end of the deal, but it's really fine because it has to match both ways. So like, I know Raiders fans lost their minds oh. when it happened. I get all that. Um, I do not know which is going to be the better hire. It's going to be really interesting to see. Thanks for joining us as always. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Ian Rappaport moments ago from the Raiders set. Now I bring in Vic Tafer from The Athletic, and he just said at the end of that, you know, Raider fans maybe calm down or not. No one talks and has the impact you do with the Raider Nation from the inside. What do you think has gone on this week from Kingsbury to Getsy and waiting on an announcement? Well, as you both know, you can't tell Raider Nation to calm down. They will no. never, they'll never calm down over anything. Every, uh, but I, you know what? I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, every people are outraged about Kingsbury falling apart and that whole deal. But I don't know. I mean, was he really that much of a success at Arizona? I mean, I think mm-hmm. maybe some talk with the league, cut up with his offense. And I think uh, Getsy is a guy who, I guess, if you look at the last couple years in Chicago, it wasn't good. They had some struggles, but I think the running game was was, was pretty good. I think Fields made some progress in it last mm-hmm. year. You go back further than that, and he had some success in Green Bay as a passing game coordinator. So there's some stuff there in his resume which I think is interesting. I think whether it was Kingsbury or Getsy, it's not so much what their offenses were in the past. It's going to be how they great point make one here with the Raiders roster of talent, what AP, what Pierce wants. It'll be more of a running. Pierce said he wants a, a, run, a strong running game. He wants shots downfield. You know, and it'll be, So it'll be a mix. So I think it's hard to really analyze what each coordinator will bring to the mix at this point right now. Vic, that is a great point because whatever they bring, whoever comes in is going to evolve with it. You just can't bring the same offense you brought from another team. You just go tape for two years. You're not going to run the same plays. And I'm connecting the dots with Devontae. As much as Max wanted to see AP get the job, Devontae, I don't know this, so I'm not saying it happened, but I don't see any decision made with an offensive coordinator 
without Devontae really being in high-up meetings, kind of approven that. Is that fair? Yeah, I guess fair. I mean, they came in together in Green Bay, and Devontae has spoken highly of Getsy in the past, the part of a guy he liked. Mm. He's a quarterback in college. He likes, he bought that experience in the mix, I think, and Devontae likes how he worked with the receivers in Green Bay. So I think he's a big part of Devontae's breakout year came with Getsy as a passing game coordinator. So I think I'm sure that was a conversation they had with Devontae at some point. Like, hey, this is the guy we're looking at. And even when they were hiring Kingsbury, yeah, at that point last week, you heard that the two guys that really came on strong interviews were Kingsbury and Getsy. He was the number two guy. Yeah. And I, get, I get it. He's not the first choice, but I guess he was a close second. I think he's a guy mm. that they're comfortable with. So I think I don't know Raider fans want to freak out, but I think it's going to be fine. I think, it, and yeah. again, so much depends on who the quarterback is. Like the coordinator is one thing; that's great. But in this day and age, you know as well mm. I do. Who's playing quarterback? That's the key thing for an offense that, right. you know, these days. Vic Tafer joins us from The Athletic. I love what you're saying because I think whoever lands the job has got to go through Tom Telesco, Antonio Pierce, and show what offense they're going to run. And that leads me to the quarterback. I'm okay with Justin Fields, but I don't think Justin Fields and Getzey kind of work for me because I think Getzey's getting away from Justin yeah. Fields for another opportunity that leads us to the quarterback. And we got a long offseason talking to you about how this team pivots from Jimmy Garoppolo's contract to Aiden O'Connell competition to look at a veteran or trade up big or wait for a quarterback. How complex of a decision is this? Yeah, to me, if you bring in, you are bringing in Getzy, I think he'll probably be announced tomorrow as my guest. But mm. you're bringing Getzy in, and to me that means that Fields is no longer part of the possible right. equation. I think Fields is out. I think because clearly if you're the Raiders, you're looking at their last two years of the Bears offense, you're saying, okay, they did okay, you know, despite Fields. Like, mm-hmm. We like Getsy despite right. some of the problems he had with Fields. So I think you're making a choice there as to what really was the cause of the problems the Bears had the last two years. So I think that in their minds it was more Fields than, than Getsy. So I think that the whole trade rumor I think is no longer in the mix. So I think, like you said, you got to decide. You want to trade up in the draft, get a guy high, get a guy at 13, sign a veteran guy. or some good veteran guys in the market this year. So a lot of our choices really to get who we want to bring in as quarterback next Vic year. Vic Tafer, kind enough to join us from Radio Row as we continue here. Brought to you by Modelo, the fighting spirit of Modelo, live from Radio Row. So this brings me to Tom Telesco and his style. We just wrapped up with Ian Rappaport. He's a big Telesco guy. He thinks he's a guy who could swing big in the first round, could make a move, and he's highly respected. Then you pair him with Antonio Pierce. Then you got Mark Davis above them both. Then we don't got to figure out who the quarterback's going to be. And then the Josh Jacobs contract. Because if this is, as of today, Vic, I can look you in the eye and say, I think this is going to be a running team. Right. I don't know if I love that. But if they decide to be a running team, what do they do with Zamir White and Josh Jacobs? And what type of market is there for Josh Jacobs? That's really the key question. Because yeah. I think Pierce has said he wants Josh Jacobs back. It's the, he's the, the key guy on the team. Mm-hmm. Josh has said I'll come back now because you know, Pierce is going to be here. He loves Pierce. So, they both want each other, obviously. But so the question now is money. Like, what will the market be for Josh Jacobs? And really, it's, it's hard to say because you really know, based on the last couple of years in the NFL, mm-hmm. running backs have not gotten what they probably feel they were they were deserved. So I don't know if Josh will take less money to come back. I don't know what they're going to offer. But definitely that's probably the biggest question right now as far as the first moves of free agency, what they're going to do with Josh Jacobs. Vic Tafer, as we wrap it up. So uh, we, were, we were talking off the air about the field and – what the Raiders have, and let's get to the game for a second. There's a big advantage if you're practicing, if you care about advantages over in Henderson compared to UNLV. And I love what the Fertitas Complex have done. Mark Davis wrote a big check to go in there, and they cleaned up the fields years ago. But if it's soggy, look at the weather out here. We can all deal with this. The Raider facility is much nicer. Niner fans are starting to pick up on this. I don't think it's much of a big deal. 
But how do you see the gamemanship going forward with the Kansas City Chiefs in the building? And can you clear up the locker room scenario <laughs> and what happened yesterday when you went there for the press conference? Yeah, locker room thing. People are really Isn't got, that crazy. Uh, people are not, people are crazy. But apparently, Raider fans really don't like the idea of the Chiefs being in the Raiders locker room. So there's some kind of hope and there's tweets that no, it's not the Raiders locker room, but it actually is. That's the Raiders locker. Yeah. The Chiefs are in the Raiders locker room, which is. Well, it should be. If it's an NFL stadium, there's two NFL locker rooms. You know, one team gets the home team locker room. So it's really common sense, and I don't think it's a huge deal. But as far as the squishy field and UNLV, it's all it's only a factor if the Niners let it get in their heads. If the Niners get in their heads, like, you know, we're, we're, we hadn't, weren't able to practice well enough, we wouldn't prepare well enough because the field, we were worried about the field. Mm-hmm. If they think it was a conspiracy, like we're not, the NFL doesn't really care about us. They want the, you know, so it's just all, it's all mental stuff. But like you said, once the game has started, not going to matter. It's incredible. It doesn't really matter. So I, I just saw you were up at Santa Clara, right? So you went to the NFC Championship yeah. game. Tell us, paint a picture for us what that atmosphere was like there with the Niners who haven't really enjoyed the postseason so much. I thought they were outplayed by Green Bay, and then they were getting blown out by Detroit. Tell me about that fan base and what happened in the building once that comeback started to occur. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was definitely, uh, like you said, definitely there's some shell shock. The first yeah. half, they got dominated the first half. I mean, Detroit did whatever they wanted to do. I think if you're a Niner fan at that point, you're pretty nervous. I'm not sure you were positive mm-hmm. you're going to come back, but it clearly, you know, the game, like we've seen, the game turns quickly. There was a turnover, you know, decision here, fumbling. So I think once the momentum started happening and the players got confident and the fans got confident, they definitely took off. And I think you saw probably as a result the Lions players got a little tight or some drop passes which were really huge in that game. So uh, it shows you the value of home field. I mean, if the crowd gets into it and they get going, it makes it hard for a team to kind of hold on to a lead. Uh, last one for Vic Tafer. I, I, the way I pitch this as a fan, I think this is a dynasty if Kansas City wins. And you've covered the Warriors, and we followed that. You're not a dynasty with two. You've got to have three yeah. in order to do that. They'll have three in five years. In my opinion, that's a, that's a dynasty. And I think if they get two over five years, that's not a dynasty. The Pistons went back-to-back in Detroit, 89-9. They weren't a dynasty. You covered Kobe and all that. So this is a, there's a lot at stake in our building, our, the season ticket holders of the Raiders, to see if this dynasty is coronated at Allegiant Stadium. For me and the Raider Nation, who you're talking to, that's a big deal. I think the scary thing is that it could be a dynasty on a down year. I mean, the Chiefs totally Great blew, point. They totally Great blew the receiver point. position. They have no receivers all year long. And Rasheed Rice has kind of emerged lately. But really, they did a bad job in terms of that. They kind of got by. Some, right. You know, got some lucky wins, you want to say, here and there. But here they are with the best quarterback on the planet playing. And he's very comfortable in these games. He's always proven he's very clutch in these kind of games. So, yeah, if they win this year on a down year, not only is it a dynasty, but Next year, they'll probably add a top receiver and in the draft and free agency. They're going to be better next year. Defense is young, very young defense, very uh, secondary especially, very impressive. They kind of built it up the right way quickly. So they're scary long term. Great. Thanks for doing this, Vic. Thanks for everything all year. Big deal for our show to have you as an insider. All right, boss. Appreciate you. You got it. There he is. Vic Tafer, kind enough to join us here. Follow his work at The Athletic. Not only is he covering the Raiders, he's covering the NFL. He was at the NFC Championship game. Coming up, Mike Florio will join us. He'll jump in the seat with the insiders. How about that? Vic Tafer, Ian Rappaport, and Mike Florio. All back to back to back. Marcus Allen, Rod Woodson coming up here. A lot to get to as we continue now. Absolutely absolutely as we are ready to roll from radio row uh, thanks to remy martin our proud partner remy martin team up for excellence
I think the Chiefs now, it can safely be said, are America's team. The Dallas Cowboys have had that moniker for a long time, and they're still a glamour franchise, but they haven't been to the Super Bowl since the mid-90s. For a hot minute, they were saying Detroit is America's team. For a hot minute. Sentimentally, yeah. They would have been a sentimental favorite if they got to the Super Bowl, and it would have been a great storyline. 49ers are a good storyline, too. But now the Chiefs have been to four of the yeah. last five Super Bowls, yeah. they have the best quarterback in the game, even Patrick though there Mahomes. are others really yes. who are really good. He's exciting. He improvises. He's charismatic. Mm-hmm. They've got him. Andy Reid's been around a long time, went to the Super Bowl with Philadelphia, and now with the Chiefs. They've got Travis Kelsey and his romance with Taylor Swift. He yes. was a big deal to begin with, and now it blows up bigger. Yes. Plus the State Farm commercials. Yes. You don't have to know a screen pass from a field goal to know something about the Kansas City Chiefs. JT, back with you. That's Bob Costas, live from Radio Row. It's my 26th Radio Row, and I'm happy to bring in Mike Florio, one of the best from Pro Football Talk. And Mike, uh, Vegas first. Let's get that out of the way. You know, I've been here a long time. I've interviewed a bunch. The weather's not great, but the fact that they pulled this off in Vegas, something they should have been able to do 10 years ago, but were afraid to do it. Well... It's just such a strange situation for the NFL. They hated gambling until they realized how much money they could make off of it, and now they love it. And they're trying to stake out this very tenuous ground where they are like the guy on the game show that goes into the glass booth with the dollars flying in the air, and they're stuffing as many as they can into their pockets while they're also wagging a finger at anybody who would be tempted to do the same thing. It's just such a strange thing. It's an awkward thing for the NFL, and it's rife with hypocrisy. I think they aren't as concerned as they need to be about the problems it can cause, and I think it's just one big controversy away from having Congress insert a microscope into places where microscopes ordinarily don't go and creating real issues for the NFL and regulation for maybe all professional sports. This is interesting. So going to San Paulo, going to Brazil, going to Germany, going to London, what's the difference between that money grab and expansion to raise revenue and explode the sport compared to gaming? Because people who work for the NFL and work for the teams are allowed to go to Germany and England and Brazil. There isn't this do as we say, not as we do. There isn't this danger of the moth flying a little bit too close to the flame because there is a flame there. And I think that's where it becomes problematic for the NFL. They act like they were forced to embrace gambling by the Supreme Court decision from May of 2018. They weren't forced to do it. All that the Supreme Court did in 2018 was create a scenario where any state that wants to, other than Nevada, which already has it, could adopt legalized sports wagering. That's it. It didn't require the NFL to be in business with DraftKings and FanDuel and BetMGM and whichever other of the exclusive. It's funny. The word exclusive apparently doesn't mean what I thought it meant because the NFL had seven exclusive sportsbook partners in 2022. It's down to three this year because they're consolidating. And the ones who just realize it's too much money, we can't make any money if we have to sign our life over to the NFL to be a partner. But they didn't have to do any of that. You know, I've been saying all week, mustard's legal. I hate mustard. I won't eat mustard. The NFL doesn't have to be involved in this. The NFL could have said, we're not going to make a penny from it. We're not going to acknowledge it. We're not going to do anything with it. And it makes it easier from a moral high ground standpoint to say to all your employees, you can't either. We are an anti-gambling organization. We won't deal with it. We won't acknowledge it. We won't profit from it. And none of our employees are allowed to engage in it. That would be a lot easier. 
than what they're trying to do now. Mike Florio's our guest. How does the commissioner, who I've praised, I've praised this commissioner for his State of the Union every year. I've been covering it when I can get over there. It was the most transparent day of the year for the NFL. It was the one day of the year, Mike. He's going in front of a cattle call. Every big name's going to be there. He's going to have to answer every question, and it might get a little bit uncomfortable like a president on the White House lawn. How the hell did that get to invite only? Well, COVID helped. I think that was the first year it went to invite only. But what they've understood is if you move it from Friday, because when you do it on Friday, as they did for years up until 2017, there will be seven or eight AP wire stories that come out of that press conference that dominate the next day because the Saturday before the Super Bowl, there's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Unless there's some crazy escapade like what happened with the Raiders when Barrett Robbins disappeared, right? There's right. nothing that happens the day before the Super Bowl. So now when they move it to Wednesday, it minimizes its importance. Now you've got invitation only, and they tuck it in Monday right before opening night. And Peter King made this point on our show PFT Live the other day, and it's an excellent point. By the time we get to the end of opening night, what has the commissioner said that hasn't been superseded by something Patrick Mahomes said or something Travis Kelsey said or something Brock Purdy said? So the coverage of whatever he, he has to talk about based upon a pool of questioners that is limited with some excluded and only 120 included, it, it makes it easier for them to avoid bad press being generated by their own event. Mike Florio, as we wrap it up, two topics, diversity and the Gruden lawsuit in the state of Nevada. Let's start with diversity because when I heard the stats coming off what Jim Trotter said, I was pretty amazed that with the runway that they had to clean that up, they didn't. What's the issue behind that? Let's start there first. Well, and the Trotter situation first came up two years ago when he asked the commissioner at the press conference about diversity in the NFL media newsroom. His point is we cover a league that is composed of black players by a rate of 70%, yet how can there be no black managers in the newsroom, no, no one on the news desk who is black? This is just part of the cultural reality of covering the sport. How can that be? Same question last year when there wasn't a change. Then his contract isn't renewed, and he's filed a lawsuit alleging that it was motivated by him engaging in what he believes are protected activities. Now this year, there was the same question asked yesterday. How are you not ready for that? How do you not have the numbers there? That's a way to just avoid, well, I'm not sure your data's right. I don't have the data. Here's a broad brush Mm -hmm. take on the percentage of people across the entire scope other than players who are female or minority who are, you know, employed by the league now and didn't even address the question. So I, I I don't know how they do it. They just do it. They just do what they want to do. And they try to set up scenarios where they aren't going to get called on it. Mm-hmm. And if they do get called on it and they're not happy about it, they will react in whatever way they choose to react. One of the things I saw in a 408-page deposition transcript that the commissioner gave in a case where they're trying to get an insurance company to pay for the concussion settlement, which is a good deal if you can pull it off. If you, if you get your up. insurance company to pay for you know your $1.3 billion concussion settlement, that's great. But he, he made the comment there about you know starting a ground war against uh, a media outlet that was not covering the concussion issue the way they liked. And, of course, it's unfair and it's irresponsible. That's their perspective on it. And I think that's the way they are. If you aren't saying what we like, it's unfair and it's irresponsible. So 
that's what we deal with all the time when we report on the league and it it does not make me back down or it does not make me exasperated it just makes me emboldened to keep pushing to get them to address these issues and give us the truth does gruden win the lawsuit i hope he does well i don't mean it that way Mm -hmm. i hope he wins the current status what's pending before the nevada supreme court on whether or not the case goes to arbitration they use this arbitration process so they can have what i call a secret rig kangaroo court where the NFL decides the outcome of the dispute. It should be open court. It should be nothing secret. It should be fully transparent. We need to find out who ordered the code red. Did John Gruden engage in activities that created a consequence that he deserved? Yes. Did he deserve it to happen the way that it did when you have 650,000 documents that are supposedly kept secret and somebody just peels off a couple of them and weaponizes them against somebody they don't like? That's not right. And we need to find out who did it. And both things can be true. It can be true that he deserved to be fired. It can also be true, or whatever he ultimately did. And it can be true that somebody unfairly took advantage of those documents that were supposed to be kept secret and used them against him because they wanted to get him. That can be true as well. In an era of reels and 40-second sound bites, my friend, you remain the most fearless guy. You're the only guy, I say this and we go back a long way, that could sit on NFL property and speak freely this way where a lot of other people don't. That's why I didn't get invited yesterday. I got you. And, you know, you get to a point in life, and part of this is because I don't gamble, so I've saved my money. Same when here. You, when, you, when you look at the app on your phone and you know that you're okay, you got it figured out, you've done the math, there's nothing they can do to me now, so I can say whatever the hell I want. Not that it ever stopped me before, but at this point I'm going to be even more dangerous because there's definitely nothing they can do to hurt me now. Thanks, Mike. Good to Thanks, see man. you. Mike Florio, appreciate him coming on. Thank you. Take care, Mike. Have a good day. Thank you for making time. Yeah, Mike Florio says a lot of things that make a lot of sense that are very, very fearless and really good and really intense, and he wrapped it up all right there. Man, that hour flew by, and we got Marcus Allen coming up. You're going to listen to that, hopefully, and enjoy it, and we got a lot more going on. So if you want to get through, if I can get a chance to get to hey, one of the things I wanted to say quickly here is Bobby gives me a countdown. Toby Keith died yesterday, or he might have died today. I woke up this morning and saw that, and we're going to play Toby Keith music. I just want to share this with the work I do with Coaches versus Cancer. Got a chance because he's a big part of that, and he's come out here to the Las Vegas event that we had. I introduced him once on stage. He came out with a red solo cup, looked me in the eye, shook my hand, gave me a half a hug, and I said, man, that was cool. Toby Keith, and I stood backstage with a couple of friends and watched him perform, and it was fantastic. 62 years old, he passed away from stomach cancer. Cancer sucks. I dedicate the energy of the show today to Toby Keith who had a tremendous impact on music, children, adults who wanted to have fun and do great things. It was devastating to hear the news that Toby Keith passed away because he had a great impact on a short period of time in my life and for everybody else that he came across with. So, Toby Keith, rest in peace. And for our friends at Coaches Versus Cancer, we do the Las Vegas event here every year, the classic, and I think we're going to do a big event for him. I would, I would guarantee you, that DJ Allen, Lon Kruger, Jay Ship, all my friends who listen to the show will do something really big for Toby Keith. Toby, rest in peace. A lot of people have broken hearts in Oklahoma and all over the world today.